As we start this morning, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we get some of the message of what we are to proclaim in evangelism. But as we look at 2 Corinthians 5 this morning, we're not going to do our normal expository sermon. We're going to talk more about the idea of evangelism and teach through the, that word, through the topic, uh, for the purpose of helping us to understand as a church, as a young church, as a new church in this area and in an area that is inundated with the gospel message with many churches who proclaim the gospel, what is evangelism for us? What does evangelism for us as the Vine Church, for us as Christians, for us as Christians who are part of a local church look like? And so as we look at this idea of evangelism and, and look through some of Second Corinthians 5, I'd invite you to write down or to remember this little phrase um, of how uh, Max Stiles, the author of this book on evangelism in this nine mark series that we are sort of going through, as he defines it, and which I, I really appreciate, is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. What is evangelism? He defines evangelism as teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. And so notice what he doesn't say, what the definition that he gives and what the definition of what we should understand evangelism as is not making converts. So whenever we think about how am I being successful in evangelism, you should not think I'm only successful in evangelism if converts are produced. And so as we flow from the idea of conversion, what we talked about last Sunday morning, to this whole purpose and function of the church as being those who proclaim the gospel, right, in, in our gospel community mission as we try to focus on this in our hearts and in our minds and our lives together as Christians. How do we proclaim the gospel? What is the gospel that we proclaim? And how do we do that together? So teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 11 through 21. And we'll see a few things from here. And take a few things from our definition and try to understand it that much more. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11, says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as we look at this wonderful and great text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want us to, to sort of roll through this definition that we have of evangelism, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. We even see it maybe the end of that at the beginning of our section here in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So, so what's our, we have an end goal. We have a goal when we set out to evangelize, we have to have a goal. But how do we accomplish that goal? How is it that we can help ourselves to faithfully produce what it is that God requires of us in this task of evangelism? He calls us ambassadors. And ambassadors, when you think about it there in our text, when you think of what an ambassador does, an ambassador is someone who goes to a foreign country on behalf of their mother country and relays the thoughts and intentions of the sovereign of the leadership of that nation where they came from. They're there to say, hey, here's who we are, and here's what we do, and here's how we can help you. Here's how we can partner together. Here's the message of who we are as a country, as a nation. And so for us, when you think of yourself as a Christian, do you think of yourself as an ambassador? Do you think of yourself as a person who is part of a kingdom that is not of this world? Now, but you are in this world, but, but your true kingdom, your true home, your true and final destination, where you have come from because of the new life that has been given to you through Jesus Christ is heaven. And so heaven is what you look forward to. Heaven is going to be your final and future place. But for now, we are here. And so what are we supposed to do here when we're not in our now native country, our now native promised land, so to speak. Well, we are here to be ambassadors, to proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others might know and understand who God is and who they are. I'm going to say a lot of things and quote a lot of things from this book on evangelism by Max Stiles, and so just bear with me as I go through certain things. But one of the things as we look at this idea of teaching, of teaching the gospel, something that he mentions, says, if you do not know how to teach the gospel, you may not truly understand it. And if you do not understand it, you may not be a true Christian. I know many people who thought they were believers, but when they began to study the gospel in order to teach it, they realized that they had never truly repented of sin and put their faith in Jesus. So if our task is to teach the gospel with the aim to persuade, so if we're supposed to teach, how can we teach if we don't know the message ourselves? And so when we, one of the things that, that I have known and I have mentioned to probably most, most people in this room and most people that I come into contact with that I have extended conversations with is the way in which you learn something best is to sit down and prepare yourself to teach it to someone else. 
I mean, what, what better way is there to know whether or not you understand a topic or a subject than to have to stand up in front of people or sit across from someone and explain to them that topic? Now, but our topic, right, is not something like biology or math. You know, these are things that, that I could, you know, maybe fumble around through and, and explain in certain ways and, and get the message across if I'm given a textbook and enough time to prepare, I guess, really, nowadays, because I don't remember any of that stuff from school. Stan's tool, kids, you know, don't, don't forget what you learn. Um, but, but when it comes to teaching the gospel, if we don't understand the gospel for ourselves in the first place, how can we even get to the point of teaching it? And are we truly being evangelists in the proper sense? Are we really true ambassadors if we have not understood for ourselves what the gospel message is? And so one of the, really one of the first things that we have to ask ourselves as individuals is, have I truly been converted myself? Have I truly understood the message of the gospel properly? If then I'm told I'm supposed to go and proclaim this message with the aim to persuade others to believe it also. Or am I just one who says, hey, here's a great message, but it doesn't really mean anything for me and for my life. I've never really fully understood it, but good luck understanding it yourself. No, we need to make sure that we understand it for ourselves. First off, otherwise, what in the world are we doing? Now, when we teach, we have to also understand that if we see people come to know Christ, it won't be because we said everything in the best way possible. God uses us, even in our failures, to use the Spirit of God to bring people to salvation. But this is a work that God does. This is what we spent 45 minutes talking about last week. God is the one who brings about conversion through His Spirit. We are not the ones who bring faith and repentance to somebody. We bring the message of faith and repentance to somebody. We bring the message that God saves through His grace alone to them. We take it to the doorstep. But God is the one who opens the, the door of their hearts for that message to fully come into their hearts and their minds so that the old will then pass away and the new will come in. And so we proclaim this message and we recognize that it's not because I said everything right is the reason why someone has come to know Christ, though I do need to make sure that I learn it for myself so that I understand it rightly for myself as as an individual who has to answer to God for what he knows and what he understands and, and how he responds then to that. But then, taking that next step of the idea of teaching, I have to make sure that I teach that it is not me and my knowledge and my capacity to be able to persuade somebody, but it is God and his spirit through his grace alone that brings someone to true and full faith and conversion. And what we also must recognize is that this teaching is not, it's not without difficulty. One of the things Style says is we must deliver the message regardless of the discomfort produced, the effort required, and the shame endured. Now, one of those things when you look at the idea of teaching, there is effort put into us when we have to teach it and teach it well. You have to actually sit down or stand up, I mean, whatever you want to do, lay down, 
you have to think about these things. How, how can I relay this information in a way that someone can actually understand it? It's not simply for me to say, here are the facts of the matter. It, it's important for me to be able to sit across from someone and to do the work of making sure that they understand what I'm saying. The words that I'm saying are communicating a proper message to them that, that they understand. If I use a word that they don't know, you know, they might just nod their heads and say, uh-huh, okay. But I haven't really bridged that gap that needs to be bridged. And so I need to be sure that in my teaching, I am able and willing and ready to pay the cost of preparing, but also to, to pay the cost of someone rejecting me and my message. You know, oftentimes I've heard it say that, you know, well, you know, when, when you share the gospel with someone, they're, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the message. Who I am is defined by that message. And so in some sense, yes, they are rejecting me because that is who I am. I'm a Christian and I believe these things. And so this is the only way in which I know how to properly see the universe overall, how I can properly see my life specifically. And so a rejection of this message is, in some capacity, a rejection of me because this is what I believe and this is what I know to be true. And so it brings about difficulty and it brings about someone who at certain points may do things to us. This is one of the things that, you know, the, the part of the passage that we didn't read, if you continue on in chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians, and I'm just going to read it, starting in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 6. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. These are all as we would define them as people in this world, as humans, negative things. These are things that none of us want to have to go through. When's the last time you had a sleepless night? Were you thinking, oh, I'm so glad I had a sleepless night? No, I mean, unless you're just strange, you know. No, if if I'm intending to sleep, I want to sleep. And so if I've got a sleepless night, this is not good. These things are negative things that Paul says, these are things we have been through in our ministry but it is so that we can be found as faithful servants. Keep reading. Verse 6, By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. The world will view us as strangers because we are strangers and sojourners in this world. This world is not any longer our home. We know where our home is, but we invite others through teaching them of the beauty of God and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what can be theirs. Because we know it's ours and we know it's true and real. And so we proclaim it with all of the gusto that we can. And so what exactly is this message of the gospel? What, what is the gospel that we teach, the gospel that we proclaim? 
I basically try to say this almost every single sermon explicitly, sometimes succinctly in a minute or two. Sometimes I take the whole sermon to explain it. Sometimes there's just bits and pieces in there that you can gather if you have ears to hear and, you know, have the, the mind power and ability, which many of us don't, to trace some of those steps that aren't clearly given for you. But what I want to do again, and this is similar to what I did yesterday. And so what I did yesterday at, and during Upward, and I don't know if people in the houses surrounding um, the backyard of Avenue Bible Church heard me, but twice during the halftimes of the Upward football games, what I did was I proclaimed the simple message of the gospel. And so I'm going to go through it again. It's going to be kind of, I say easy, it's going to be a little bit simple for me since I just did it yesterday. But I want to make it clear what the gospel message really is. But before I get to that, I want to show you a couple of the things that we see in our text this morning that are the basic truths from which we can understand this gospel message, even in our text in 2 Corinthians 5. So look at verses 14 and 15. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Skip down to verse 20 and 20, verses 20 and 21. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see in here, in those few verses, in our text, one of the most beautiful pictures that we can have of what salvation is, what it is that Christ has done for us, what God has done by sending Jesus Christ to die on that cross for us. One of the things we have there is the idea big word alert or big idea alert, substitutionary atonement. Okay, this is one of the things that we have in our Constitution as part of our statement of faith that next week, um, if you're becoming a member of this church, that you will sign, that we'll have a nice little fun ceremony during our service of signing the statement of faith, showing that I believe this. One of the points here says, Jesus Christ died as my substitute to pay the penalty for my sin. Right? I mean, it, I just put it simply, plainly, but hopefully clearly in that one little line, Jesus Christ died as my substitute to pay the penalty for my sin. That, that's what he's basically just said here. Verse 21 again, read it. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I can only be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Because he put himself in the place that I deserve to be put. And now he has given to me his righteousness instead. And so let me go through the simple gospel message. And I've said it before in this way, but hopefully this, this is a good way for us to, to remember it. Just through four words, God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, and response. We start... Everything with God, because that's how the Bible starts. That's how we should start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. He then rules over everything because He created everything. 
He owns everything. Everything is His. And we know also from the Bible that He is a loving God, that He is a good God, that He cares about His creation. He didn't just create the world, but He does actively rule over it, and He rules over it in justice and in love. God is loving. John 3.16, for God, and this is what we looked at last week. We didn't talk about it a lot, but John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I've, I had there a few months' time in preaching where I said this about every single week, um, and, we, and we coined the term mercious, right? God, God is gracious and merciful, or if you just want to simplify it, because that's what we do as Texans, we simplify words and combine them into one. Um, God is merciful. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. This is how God... Many, many times in the Old Testament, Joel 2, Jonah 4, Psalm 86, a couple times in the book of um, Exodus, all throughout the Old Testament, we see that this is the description that people see God as and that God describes himself as. God is a good God who's gracious and merciful. He abounds in steadfast love. He cares about his creation. But the problem is, Romans 3.23, we fall short of the glory of God. God is glorious and wonderful and perfect, but, but we have brought sin into the world. For all have sinned, right? And so I, I'm using this God-man-Christ response. So we talked about God, and, and maybe you've heard the Romans road before, but I'm sort of integrating that into this God-man-Christ response. So I'm giving you two avenues through which to remember this idea, this message, this succinct version of the gospel. So God-man-Christ response. We're, we're getting to man. Romans 3.23, for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you have God and man there. You have God and sin. And that's what man brings to the picture. We bring sin into the picture. We, we have sinned. We, we've seen that this is who God is, but I don't care. I would rather choose my own way. I see that God is the creator, but I want to be in charge of my life. I want to decide what's right and what's wrong. I don't care what God says. And the Bible basically calls this sin. The, the trespasses that we looked at in 2 Corinthians 5. And, and what that brings us is death. We were, we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Right? This is the state of man in sin. We have God who is a good and holy and just and, and perfect God. And then we have man who God created perfect, but we sinned and we brought failure into this world. And now we don't have a right relationship with God anymore. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve, and this is the state that we are in spiritually. We are dead. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, which is our third thing. God, man, and Christ. But God sent Christ while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 8. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty. He paid the debt that we had owed to God for sin. And that's what we find. He was our substitute in 2 Corinthians 5. He was our substitute. He took our place. He died the death that we deserved. 
and put on our account the life that he lived, the perfect righteous life that he lived. He put onto our account. He, he paid the debt that we owed and he gave us new life. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a great and wonderful fact. But we can only receive this gift if we do it in the way that the Bible tells us we have to receive it. And we can only receive this gift if the Spirit of God has opened our eyes to see and our ears to hear so that we might truly fully know and understand this message. We have to respond. And all of us are going to respond in one way or another. When we are confronted with the message of this gospel, we are going to respond. The positive way to respond is to confess with your mouth, Romans 10, 9 and 10, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. We have to respond, and if we respond positively, this is what it looks like. We will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We'll believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We talked about this last week. Faith and repentance is what conversion ends up leading to. When we receive God's grace, it leads to faith and repentance. But sometimes there are those who will respond negatively. They'll say, I'm fine living in the way that I have known all of my life. This leaves me comfortable. This leaves me knowing what I'm supposed to do. This leaves me not, have, not having to answer to a higher authority. I can live my life in the way that I please. And basically, that's the other response. And there are many who respond negatively to it. And one of the things that I, I want to, to make clear and that um, I appreciate about Stiles' book on evangelism and that I also appreciate about this book, which is probably going to be our book of the month for October, so just you know, note it down for future reference. This is by J.I. Packer. It's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And one of the things that, that he discusses here, and I'll quote on page 50 here from Packer. We're talking about teaching this gospel and what it means. It says, It is a message of some complexity, needing to be learned before it can be lived by and understood before it can be applied. It needs, therefore, to be taught. Why do we define evangelism as teaching the gospel? Because we can relay the facts of the matter but we have to make sure that people understand it because there is a cost associated with responding positively. There's a cost. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, I'm going to read this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Sometimes, if all we relay to people is that simple message of God-man-Christ response, if all we say to people is, God offers you salvation free of charge because Jesus paid it all, sometimes people say, great, I want that. But then they don't fully and truly realize that there's a cost associated with following Jesus. And so we might think that we've produced a convert because they've accepted the message that we've brought to them. But because we have not aimed to persuade them through a full teaching of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, they have been given in their own mind and heart, and maybe we have given them a false assurance. And that's one of the scary things that we even find in 2 Corinthians. Look at the first verse of chapter 6, right after our text in 11 through 21, you get Paul talking about the message of the gospel. God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. And we implore you to, to accept this message. Be reconciled to God, he says there in verse 20. And then chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What do you think he's talking about? I think he's talking about the fact that we can seem to receive the grace of God but we've not fully understood the cost of receiving this grace. It means my life is no longer my own. I was bought with a price, and now the rest of my life is lived in service to the king who sent his son to die for me. That if I'm an ambassador, I don't answer to myself and only myself, but... As an ambassador, I have a higher authority that I answer to. It's one of the, it's one of the things that, that scares me sometimes about just giving a simple five-minute gospel presentation is that it's difficult to teach someone the full breadth and depth, the immensity of the decision that we are aiming to persuade them to make. And so this takes time. Teaching takes time. It takes conversations over and over again. But it is our aim that we might see people come to know Christ and give their lives to Him. Our, our goal is to persuade in order that converts would be produced, in order that disciples would be made. But we do not produce the converts. And our success in evangelism is not dependent on us establishing new converts. I've said it before, and I think sometimes just the idea of evangelism is so chalkboard-scratching, balloon-messing-with, kids yelling in your ear, irritating, that we just cringe sometimes at the idea of evangelism. Because we think that if I'm told to go and evangelize, that I've got to make something happen, that I've got to see people come to Christ, and if I don't, then I've failed. 
But what I want us to see is that God does not judge us by the converts that we make because we're not the ones who make the converts. God is the one who does that. But He does command us to go and to make disciples and to teach. And we teach the gospel and we want people to come to know Christ. We don't just teach aimlessly. We don't just teach and say, you know, whimsically, take it or leave it. I don't care whether or not you believe it. I do care. I do care because your eternal life is at stake. I do care because this message really does mean something. And you can only find true and lasting joy and peace in your life through a right relationship with God. We can find things that, that gain our attention and that keep our attention for some time here on earth. We can, we can be enthralled with the things of this world, but these things don't last. I, you know, I don't, I don't have to look very far to know that the things of this world entice me even as a Christian. There's a season that basically starts today of football in which I can spend nine hours today alone just sitting there like a vegetable watching, and I can be perfectly content on my couch just sitting there and staring at this rectangle box in my living room. And I can be perfectly content to just, this is fun. Many of you know me, and many of you know that I can be, and and many of you have seen me watch sports or watch TV, and I'm just kind of like, I mean, this is really this is the face I have, and I don't intend to have it, obviously, because it looks messed up. But I mean, I, I mean, I can just sit there and, and, and be content, doing a whole bunch of nothing. The things that this world has to offer, I can be enticed by. I am enticed by. But these things don't last. A Super Bowl victory is only for one season. Next season, you've got to prove yourself again. Or if you're a Cowboys fan like me, you just have to continue and sit in mediocrity season after season after season. When we are told that we are ambassadors, we must recognize that we've been given a task, and it's a task that we have to work at. It's a task that doesn't oftentimes come naturally to us. This world does not give us all kinds of accolades for doing this. And, and actually, to the contrary, oftentimes what we will receive from the world is, why are you wasting your time doing this? Why do you care about this so much? Wouldn't you be more fruitful applying yourself to some other discipline? But our aim is is to produce something, is to see God produce that something. And so the way in which we approach evangelism, the way in which we should see evangelism is God has called us to do this, and He equips us to do this through His Word, 
through the encouragement of His people that we have surrounding us. Packer says, Christians are sent to convert, and they should not allow themselves, as Christ's representatives in the world, to aim at anything less. Evangelizing, therefore, is not simply a matter of teaching and instructing and imparting information to the mind. There is more to it than that. Evangelizing includes the endeavor to elicit a response to the truth taught. It is communication with a view to conversion. It is a matter not merely of informing, but also of inviting. We invite people to come and to know who He is, who God is. Read something else from Stiles' book. Just to be sure that we know what our aim and what our persuasion is. As Paul starts out in our text this morning in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We persuade, but we do not manipulate, Style says. We persuade, but we are not the ones who bring about repentance or conversion. And so this, this knowledge, and, and Packer says this in his book, this knowledge of the sovereignty of God should help us to pray properly. It should help us to prepare accordingly. Because otherwise, if we think that all of this work is dependent on us, we leave the message of the gospel itself behind. We leave what true conversion really is. And we're dependent on our own strength. We leave out the work of the Spirit of God. And when we do that, we are going to be weary and dry and wasted. But when we see that it is our task simply to teach the gospel with the aim to persuade, we we implore people, be reconciled to God, because we know the fear of the Lord. Verse 10 in our text, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. A negative response to this means an eternal world of hurt. And we don't persuade people because we scare them away from hell. But we also want to make sure that they realize that in their response, in they're one of two ways to either believe or not believe the gospel. They have Christ as their king. Jesus as their Lord and a wonderful God who we are in right relationship with. Or we have a God who continues to pour out His wrath on us in judgment in hell if we do not believe, if we do not trust Him. And so we teach people the entirety of this message so that they are given as much as it depends on us, a full picture of the gospel message, believed or not believed. And so as a church, how do we encourage and equip people to do this? Well, by preaching sermons like this, where hopefully what, some of what you've gained from this morning is that 
It's not your job to produce a convert, but it is our duty to proclaim this message. And that's why we have it, and that's why I say it week in and week out, who we are as a church. We proclaim the gospel and we build up each other in community so that we can send each other out on mission. And we know that our mission is to go and make disciples. We do that by teaching them, teaching them the gospel. We teach them the gospel with the aim to persuade. And so one of the ways in which we're going to do that here shortly, beginning next week, next Sunday night, we're going to have our next men's study. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of the gospel of Mark. And what we're going to do when we go through the gospel of Mark is we are going to learn how to read some of these passages well and appropriately, but do it in such a way that we can read God's Word with someone who does not yet know Christ, with someone who's maybe seeking, or someone who just has no idea of what it looks like to really be a Christian, to live as a Christian, to know Christ, to understand the Gospel. Sometimes I think we are trying to figure out how to evangelize apart from God's Word itself that I've got to come up with this message, I've got to come up with all of these creative ways in which to explain the gospel message. But what we want to do as a church is to equip you using the Word of God, which we think is powerful, which we think does not return void, which we think God has a plan and a purpose for, which we think is everlasting. The Word of the Lord will remain forever, and it will remain in our hearts, and it's what's it's what God is going to use. It's what the Spirit is going to use to help people to know who God really is. It's how we know who God really is. And so we're going to use it. We're going to use Mark's gospel to see who Jesus is and what he's done and what it looks like to be his disciple. And so we're going to use it not just for ourselves, but for an opportunity to understand how we can teach others the gospel message, using God's word itself so that we can say, hey, co-worker friend, do you want to read through some scripture with me and, and we can talk about it and, and see what God has to say about himself? I mean, I, I, I've really been changed by, by God and I, wanna, and I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to see who God is. And, and so I invite you to come Read God's Word with me. That's what we're going to do together. And so, you know, if you want to invite other people to come do it, if you want to invite other guys to come do it with us, even the first time that we do it together, invite them. 4.30 to 6, starting next Sunday night, we're going to do it for six weeks out there in the building where we have the nursery on Sunday mornings. We're going to do that. Because I, I, I think... And sometimes we, we approach this topic of evangelism and we think, oh, it's just something else I've got to do, something else I've got to come up with, some, some other strategy that I've got to figure out. Let's just use God's Word, let it speak for itself, and let us be there to teach in those moments that God has given us to. Take advantage of the relationships that God has brought you into through your work, through your family, through your neighborhood, to reach out to others, 
Because if we are going to faithfully accomplish the task that God has given to us as His ambassadors, we have to look for those opportunities. So I pray that we would. God, would you stir our hearts? Would you stir our hearts, God, to to have a passion to see people come to faith? Help us to know that we have to pray to you because you are the one who does the true work in their hearts and in their minds, but you have called us. You have clearly called us to be your ambassadors. And so we pray that you would teach us to be faithful. Teach us through your word the gospel message. Teach us through your word who you really are. Help us to know how difficult it is to be brought from death to life. It's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God, with you, all things are possible. And so we pray that through the ministry of the Christians represented here, through us and the church together, that we would be a people who proclaim the message of the gospel, who teach it in such a way that we want to see people persuaded by it, that people would, that they would make a decision, that they would be stirred by your spirit to have faith, to repent of their lives as they have been living them, and to entrust their lives to you, God. God, would we see people come to faith, and would we see Christians built up through the ministry of your word, through this church. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.